0: FMR
1: 101.3 People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. Welcome to the first people of note for 2023, a brand new year. It's the first of January, and my guest was on this program almost exactly a year ago, Gustavo Romero, who was in Cape Town doing a complete cycle of the Beethoven piano sonatas. Well, now, believe it or not, he's back in Cape Town, this time with a cycle of Schubert sonatas. So... Gustavo, welcome back. I thought you'd come to Cape Town to have a holiday, but this, I mean, it's surely a lot of hard work. Yes, but it's
2: the greatest labor of love you can imagine. After this Beethoven cycle, I'd always wanted to play also all the Schubert sonatas, but it's a very problematic endeavor because unlike the very organized and self-promoting Beethoven, who was constantly in contact with publishers and trying to send music to be sold and to make money, Schubert was a much more relaxed personality and not at all interested in his future career or promoting himself. And with his very carefree spirit, we have a lot of piano sonatas and a lot of works in general, that he just didn't finish. So there are actually 22 piano sonatas, but there are only 13 that are complete piano sonatas. And even with that, there's continual discussion among Schubert scholars to what extent something is unfinished. What do you do when Schubert has a sonata that the first movement and second and third and fourth movements exist, but the first movement only is written to the development section. And so they say, well, you know, in the recapitulation, he just usually repeats what he does in the exposition. So it's it's very easy to finish that sonata. So there's a lot of discussion about what you can do with those that are unfinished. But after I finished the Beethoven sonatas, I really was looking forward to putting together 13 complete sonatas of Schubert. And so here I am, and and I'm (laughs) thrilled to be able to play it for the first time in Cape Town.
1: Well, you're doing it over four nights, I see, the 7th, 9th, 11th, and 13th of January for the Cape Town Concert Series at the Baxter, where you did the Beethoven, memorably where you did the Beethoven. And it's interesting with Schubert, isn't it, because... Famously, whenever one thinks of unfinished, one thinks of his B minor symphony, which is known as the unfinished number eight. But I think we hinted earlier, Gustavo, that those two movements that make up what we know as the unfinished symphony are so unbelievably perfect that maybe there's part of us that thinks, well, thank goodness he didn't try and finish it and perhaps end up with something less imposing.
2: Yes, it's it's a big mystery why he left certain things unfinished. Take, for example, the beautiful quartet Zatz, D-703. It's just one movement of a string quartet, but it's such a special movement. And we only hear that now as a single entity. And we can't imagine what could have followed such a beautiful movement. And so th- the same happens with the piano sonatas. You have a beautiful sonata called the Relique, where you only have two movements completed. Yes, he started the, the scherzo, and, and the last movement, he breaks off in the middle of it, so it's really impossible to finish that. But, you know, it's it's nice sometimes just to play those first two movements of that sonata.
1: But you are not including that one. You're no, only doing the complete Only one. what he completed, 100%. But, um, why I have to ask this question? I hinted at, at the beginning. It seems as though you really enjoy cycles, which must be a lot of hard work for you. The Beethoven cycle, not only was it amazing to watch, it's also amazing to listen to, let alone play. And then you repeated it a few times around Cape Town, so you obviously like these marathon ideas.
2: For the past twenty-two years, every summer I've been playing a recital cycle or festival of four recitals in America. And initially it was to celebrate composer anniversaries. And so that's what started this annual immersion into a great composer or specific composer. And I happen to be very lucky to be able to learn very fast anything I decide to learn and to retain it. So for me it's very not difficult to play uh, well, all the Beethoven sonatas in a month mm-hmm. and so if I take on a big project like this it's something that's I can manage and it's very few pianists who feel comfortable juggling so much repertoire at the same time so I've been able to do things like play all the Ravel piano music in two concerts and so this was a natural uh, next step after playing all the Beethoven sonatas.
1: Well, there's a whole lot I want to ask you about comparisons between Beethoven and Schubert. But first of all, you were talking about this incomplete string quartet, the quartet such the quartet movement, D-703. And you've chosen that as your first piece. And clearly, it's something that means a lot to you. Well, Schubert is
2: probably th- the most immediately moving of all the composers. And... When we think that he only lived to the age of 31, and a piece like this, which is not even a a piano work, when you hear this and how immediately captures and captivates you, you really come away thinking that Schubert is something extraordinary.
0: Thank you.
1: Oh mm the Quartet Movement, the Quartet Satz D703 by Schubert the first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, the first People of Note of 2023, Gustavo Romero, the pianist, who is playing a series of Schubert sonatas at the Baxter Concert Hall on the 7th, 9th, 11th and 13th of January. The completed remember that importantly 22 sonatas but 13 were completed and those are the first, those are the ones we're hearing. You know, um Before we go any further, Gustavo, having just done the Beethoven and now immersing yourself in Schubert, I wonder, and this might be a difficult question, maybe even impossible to answer, but what are the sort of technical and musical and sound structures like between Beethoven and Schubert? Are they two completely different animals? Well, let's just first say that Schubert is a completely
2: different personality. Mm, Very much so. We immediately have to acknowledge his incredible gift for melody. Beethoven didn't have this melodic gift. Schubert was able to write over 600 songs in his lifetime with no difficulty. It's something like 100 100 songs. Uh, They've they've calculated how fast he must have been writing daily. Mm. Uh, So... With this melodic gift, Schubert, when he is dealing with sonata form and at the same time not a virtuoso pianist like Beethoven, and he, he puts these together and he sits down and he wants to write a piano sonata, well, you get a piano sonata that's not full of pianistic writing that you normally get from Beethoven where a pianist who was constantly improvising for his patrons and anywhere he went and showing his incredible piano writing and innovative ideas at the piano. This is not the case with Schubert. So when Schubert has this incredible melodic gift and he has such an abundance of ideas, Schubert needs a lot of structural space to say what he wants to say. But he says it in a very lyrical, often in a very lyrical mode. So, when you're playing a Beethoven sonata, you have to constantly be attentive to when Beethoven wants to shift moods and shock the audience, and it's usually with something very demanding pianistically. And with Schubert, you can relax a bit more and enjoy the ride, because Schubert suddenly goes off on a a sudden harmonic change, but it's a new melody, and it's a long, soaring melody, and it's not pianistically demanding. So you can, in the end, enjoy the moment more mm-hmm. with Schubert. Because you're not physically, pianistically so busy with things that are very tricky. <clears> throat> Beethoven throat> Beethoven must have been the most amazing pianist of his time. Mm-hmm. And he wanted us also to leave something behind that was demanding for pianists. He was yeah. proud to say, when he wrote the Hammer Clavier, I'm going to leave something for pianists to play 50 years from now, you <laughs> yes, know, yes, he famously, wanted to, yeah, yeah. wants yeah. to
1: leave a challenge behind. As you say, two very different personalities, Schubert and Beethoven.
2: Yes, and so Schubert is not concerned with making pianistic problems for the pianist. He's constantly singing through the piano Mm -hmm. with beautiful, incredible melodic gifts. But the harmonic language is so striking when Schubert... Let's take the example, the last sonata, which has three main themes in the exposition. But each time he has to present something new, it's in a new key. And the first movement is predominantly lyrical. So when you have the pleasure of playing this piece, the last sonata of Schubert, it's like going on an enchanted ride. And so... It's something completely different, like the last sonata of the, the 111 of Beethoven. The first movement is, is like a struggle with life and death. And even the second movement, which is very lyrical, so many variations. You have to stay so focused because Beethoven, in the end of his life, his mind is going into
1: such uncharted territories that you have to stay very alert. But this lyrical thing you speak about, the singing-like quality of Schubert's themes, they must require a special technique as well, not the sort of gripping yes. Beethoven, those short subjects that Beethoven so famously used and then developed. Schubert writes these long subjects and then possibly has some difficulty developing them. But um, the challenge therefore, for few must be, as the pianist of Schubert, to be able to soar yes. away with these melodies.
2: it's the same... It's a different kind of a focus. It's a more sustained focus, uh, when Schubert writes so many uh, long spun melodies and stays in harmonic blocks for such a l- long time, or constantly weaves in and out, uh, like Brendel said, like a sleepwalker. <laughs> That's interesting. You know, yeah. it, be, um, Beethoven we know as a great architect, but you know Schubert wandering through a forest in light and in shadow. That's a different sustained concentration than Beethoven, who uh, suddenly with his yes. Sagittarian <laughs> provoke, you know, being provocative has yeah. a
1: new mood. And when you were talking about the D960 just now in the opening and the, you said in the development, three different harmonies and things. That opening of the B-flat is extraordinary, and it never sort of comes back as a theme. And then there's that weird trill. And it's meant to be sort of scary, isn't it, that trill? The ominous trill. Ominous, that's the word. This ominous
2: trill (laughs) opening up another dimension Mm -hmm. with this G-flat F in the bass. Uh Yes. If you listen to the song Amer, you will hear the same Schubert song. Yes, yeah, the Schubert song "Ammer." You will hear this this same lyrical melody in its uh, in another form. Mm-hmm. So we think of this opening of nine hundred and sixty as a, as a miracle that only exists by itself. But actually, that song is very similar in mood and the same notes
1: of just a third and fourth interval mm-hmm. of. You've me some homework now because I don't know that song. And perhaps. you're going
2: to love it because you'll think, oh, this is, <laughs> this is the brother or sister of the D- of D960 theme.
1: Which you are going to play, I hope. Yes, we discussed. Yes, it's the last played. sonata on the last concert okay. on the 13th. Okay. It's a desert island sonata for me. Just by the way, Gustavo, do you ever, by the way, play leader? Do you ever accompany singers? Or yes. do you prefer the solo work?
2: Yes, I will never forget... The first time I had the opportunity to play the complete Winterreise,
1: oh gosh,
2: uh, song cycle, that was, I think, one of the greatest experiences I I had. I always advise any of my students to play for singers, simply from the aspect of learning about timing. The greatest thing you can learn as a pianist when you play for singers singing in German. Is that you have to delay ever so slightly your entrance with the singer because of the consonants and so when you look at a piece of music by Beethoven or a sonata by Schubert and you see a marking like a sforzato or a forzato which emphasizes a note a pianist should understand that this comes directly from the German language. So if you see, I always use a word that has many consonants like Schwarzen or Schmerzen. Or uh, early on, I used to ask uh, my students in America, do you know the actor Arnold Schwarzenegger, S-C-H-W? In order to say A, sh all those consonants delay the vowel sound it's the same thing at the piano so when you have a sforzato it's like putting four consonants before a vowel so that particular note has to be delayed just as when you're playing with the singer who says Schmerzen you wait till the vowel sound otherwise you come in early that's one of the greatest lessons that you learn as a pianist playing for singers And a very important point for dynamic
1: markings in piano music, German piano music. Mm -hmm. And the De which we were talking about, is apparently quite a challenge for the pianist.
2: Yes, because at this point, Schubert has already written so many songs, and always the piano part is just as important as the text. So... In the last life, you know, it was Benjamin Britten who said, In the last 16 months of Schubert's life, we have the greatest 16 months of any composer in history. And that Winterreise comes in the same last year of his life as the last three Schubert sonatas, which were written in six weeks. And so. And also
1: that remarkable string quintet. I think yes, that came t- at the end. Yes, the two cello quintet yeah, is, yeah. is another miracle.
2: So, at this point, Schubert is at the height of his experience and powers. So, you can see that in the piano writing of his uh, song cycles and, of
1: course, in the sonatas. Mm-hmm. Now, the next piece you've chosen is actually from that fantasy, the piano four hands, the opening of this, the F minor fantasy. Yes. Now. I need to know why you've chosen this. Well,
2: I wanted to remind the listener that of all the composers, great classical composers, Schubert is the one who left the most forehand piano music. We Ooh. have to remember we didn't have FMR in Schubert's time. <laughs> what a pity. We, we didn't have we didn't have C D players or phones. And so it took somebody like Schubert who had such a facility to write over 400 dance pieces for his friends to entertain them at these gatherings that he had called Schubertiads. And when it came to four-hand music, he wrote so much which was played at those gatherings. So we have an an incredible abundance of four-hand piano music, even more than Mozart, who wrote quite a bit as well.
1: There's the opening of the F minor fantasy for piano four hands by Schubert. And Schubert is very much on our minds at the moment because on the 7th, 9th, 11th, and 13th of January there will be a cycle of Schubert's completed piano sonatas, all 13 of them, at the Baxter Concert Hall, part of the Cape Town Concert Series, and with pianist Gustavo Romero, who's my guest here on Fine Music Radio, my first guest for 2023, Gustavo. Oh, I'm honored, but, Rhonda. Thank you for having me. Well, now, um, I just want to touch very briefly, before we go back to the music now, on your, shall we say, main life is as a lecturer at Texas, isn't it? That's where you work.
2: Yes, it's been since 2002. I've been a piano professor at the University of North Texas, and primarily for graduate students. I have a lot of doctorate students studying piano. And so this is now the first year, though, that I'm also teaching piano literature. Oh. So I'm going through piano literature with these students and it's very amusing to find out what students in their doctorate know or don't know about the basic piano literature.
1: Okay, well we won't <laughs> go there, we won't go there. But aren't you glad you're in Cape Town at the moment oh, I'm, in the United I've States? I've been
2: coming to Cape Town since 1997, almost every year for my Christmas and New Year's holiday. And I love coming here and And I'm even more thrilled to be able to play concerts while I'm here.
1: No, that's great, and we get the benefit of that. And also, you said to me that you're playing the Schubert cycle elsewhere. It's not only the Baxter. Yes. Last January, I
2: played the Beethoven cycle at the Baxter, and then I immediately played it again in March at Old Nectar in a very short span of two and a half weeks. So the same thing will happen this year, the 7th, 9th, 11th, and 13th at the Baxter, and then. Immediately starting on the 15th, just a day, two days later, the 15th, the 18th, the 20th, and 22nd in Stellenbosch at Old Nectar. So by the 23rd of January, I think I'll know these Schubert Sonatas
1: <laughs> quite well. Well, I hope you know them well before you start, <laughs> <laughs> Gustavo. Listen, what will be your next? What are you going to play next year when you come here? Well, a cycle of Mozart? <laughs>
2: no, I'm thinking about Rachmaninoff because. It's a very significant anniversary, starting in April of this year. And as pianists, we are very indebted to Rachmaninoff for leaving us such beautiful music. So I'm thinking about uh, many uh, possible projects with Rachmaninoff. For example, uh, there's a wonderful website online where you can see all the concerts that Rachmaninoff played all over the world and my small little hometown of San Diego, California. There are six concerts that Rachmaninoff played over the years in San Diego, and I have the programs. Good. So I'm going to have a great time resurrecting those programs Mm -hmm. that he played. And it
1: it will, of course, all be solo piano work. Yes, that's right. All solo. Now, the one thing we haven't touched upon yet in uh, I remember when you arrived here today, Gustavo, you waxed lyrical about what a remarkable composer Schubert is or was, and that sometimes I think the older you get, you appreciate Schubert more and more and more. However, we haven't touched on his orchestral writing, especially the yes. symphonies he wrote, well, nine theoretically, really fascinating symphonies. The early ones and the into the unfinished, the great C major, they're remarkable pieces, do you agree? Yes, and essential for any pianist
2: to know, because like Beethoven, when Schubert is writing a piano sonata, he's not listening to the piano sound. He has orchestral sounds in mind. So all of his piano sonatas have very orchestral chordal, filled with orchestral chordal writing. And I have a very soft spot for the C major, the the great last C major, because it was the first symphony that I heard as a child and you know in those days listening on the radio with live broadcast I'll never forget the first time I heard with my mother ironing <laughs> in the same room and she was hearing it for the first time as well my first time hearing the ninth Schubert Symphony it was just a, a dream
1: can and you remember how old you were were you very young
2: yes I was about eight nine years old ah, okay. and, I, and I was I used to live through the radio. I knew all the times we would have in America broadcasts of the uh, Philadelphia Orchestra, the Cleveland Orchestra, uh, the New York Philharmonic, and the Philadelphia Orchestra on different uh, days, Chicago Symphony. And every week, the concert hall at 8
1: o'clock, was, it, would, it would be called. Yes, And
2: that's... I learned all my symphonic repertoire
1: through... Just listening on the radio. Had you started playing the piano at that age? Yes, eight? I had
2: just just started to. I had an upright piano. I asked my parents, "Can I have my own piano?" Because I was playing at neighbors' houses, at school. My mother was told by my teacher, "Oh, and Gustavo plays the piano very well. How long has he been taking piano lessons?" And my mother <laughs> said, "We don't even have a piano." <laughs> so it was, you know, like that. Very uh, by sheer luck that they found out that I was playing by ear. And so when I finally got my piano at home and I discovered the radio, I would do things like I would play the records. My mother had those records that you would buy at the at the grocery store that didn't have the artist name, just the composer's pieces. And I would get to know these wonderful pieces and listening to, to this so I would do things like play the orchestral introduction of a concerto and I would sit through it at full volume, and then (laughs) turn off the volume once the piano would come in, and I start playing the piano part, like my own piano concerto in my own house. It was fantastic. It sounds like it. It was of my own little
1: world, you know. Absolutely. What a lovely story. (laughs) But now we're going to listen to, what, the sketch. So let's listen. The ninth is difficult because it's long and we have to fade. With the great recording by... Fort Wengler, Wilhelm Fort Wengler. And listen to a lovely little pause he just just after the opening
2: yes it, before the first beat between the third and first first beat sing it for us Diddle, give me diddled. that little space <laughs>
1: There we leave the Scherzo, the third movement of the great C major, the Symphony number no. 9 by Schubert. That recording, a studio recording with the Berlin Philharmonic and the great Wilhelm Fortwangler, and a choice of my guest, Gustavo Romero, on People of Note this week. And um, you've become a special friend, Gustavo, since you said you also like that Fortwangler recording. So there you
2: are. Yes, we're having our own little Schubertiad
1: here. Schubertiad, yes. And we've got... The concert's coming up, starting on the 7th, this coming Saturday, um, of 13 of Schubert's piano sonatas. And also, when, you know, we've spoken quite a bit about Schubert, playing Schubert, the lyrical side of Schubert. And as you said, it's important for your students to listen to the symphonies as well. The symphonies also consist of this lovely lyrical aspect, don't they? Even when he's doing something a bit jerky, like a scherzo. It's his nature. Yes. Like like
2: Mozart, the, one of the greatest melodists in music history, poor Beethoven wanted to be a melodist like this, but always struggled. And the minute he found a melody, would repeat it so <laughs> much. Like, yes, I found a good one, but this came so naturally to Schubert. But he needs time. Yes. He needs time to say... How what he wants to say. And this was this is what bothers you, doesn't it, about Schubert,
1: right? I was just going to say that, but it, be, it would be a confession on my point because I do not want to be negative about Schubert because I adore Schubert. But in certain places, like in a certain piano sonata, I mentioned it to you earlier, where there's a kind of repetitive rhythm and you sang it. Can you remember it all? Schumann said the heavenly length. Well, he that's what he spoke about of the ninth, yes, the Schubert ninth. of some of these pieces.
2: Well, We also have to remember that Schubert and Beethoven lived in Vienna at the same time. And uh, fortunately, Schubert had uh, the courage of his convictions and did not feel a need to copy Beethoven. Nonetheless, he was very intimidated by the idea of what, as he said, what can you do after such a giant like Beethoven? But he found his way and this was something that was in the air taking a rhythm and repeating it over and over. We have, for example, th- these Dances of Death, where you have the 6 8 rhythm at the end of the C minor sonata, D958. That's the second concert. Or we have the last movement of the Death and the Maiden quartet. So this Obsessiveness with a rhythm is something that's very effective, which Beethoven used a lot in his. Just think of the uh the Seventh Symphony of Beethoven with yam pam 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 obsessively. That's a very good idea. Yeah, uh, example, I should yes, say. Yes, or or ya pam 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 ya pam pam. Anytime you know, Beethoven got. Uh, fixated with the rhythm, 101, the second movement. Ta-dum, 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 ta-dum. Schumann took this completely and used it in his, in his fantasy, the second
1: movement, taking a rhythm and just using it repetitively. Okay, um, you've convinced me. I'll listen more carefully and more um, sympathetically, and especially to your performances. But We're going to have to end now. And in fact, we can't end without just dipping into the D960, the B-flat, the last sonata. Oh, and you suggested the this second This
2: hallowed movement. movement, this hallowed sonata.
1: Yes. So let's just listen to part of that. But you will be performing it on your last concert on the 13th of January. And let me just remind you that these, this Schubert cycle begins at the Baxter Theater with Ian Burgess Simpson's piano. So we're going to prepare the piano for you. The Cape Town Concert Series, 7, 9, 11, and 13th of January with Gustavo Romero and all Schubert. Gustavo, thank you. I look forward to possibly Rachmaninoff next year. (laughs) ending People of Note this week, that rather beautiful second movement of the Piano Sonata in B-flat D960 by Schubert in a recording with Wilhelm Kempf. And that's one of the works we'll be hearing in Gustavo's Schubert cycle beginning on the 7th of January. People of Note is brought to you each week this time by Peter Turin Productions.